0: Well, good morning, gang. Uh, good to be here with you today. In case I haven't met you before, my name is Eric Sorensen, and uh, every Tuesday we've been looking at the uh, the Epistle to the Galatians written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, this week we're in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29. It's been uh, been a busy week uh, for me. I mean, I've actually been spending a lot of time with some CHF people, with some christ Little Fast people. I was with uh, Uh, Christ Hold Fast uh, uh, folks over in Minneapolis this weekend as we uh, held a one-day event there. And it was, man, it went incredible. I mean, the facility we were in was just unbelievable. But um, so that was a lot of fun. Got to spend time with uh, my buddies Dan Price and uh, Doug Kalambara and uh, all sorts of other folks. Scott Keith, you name it. There's all sorts of folks there. So good time. The content from that event will be up shortly. We've got it all. Uh, videoed, and uh, and all the talks will be there for you to access. But meanwhile, before those really professional-looking talks come out, you've got at least Facebook Live here today with me. So, uh, so today, yeah, we're going to be looking at Galatians 3. Uh, for the last number of weeks, we've really kind of labored to show that, uh, and Paul really does this in the first few chapters, he just labors to show that salvation has to be by grace. It has to be by the gift of the gospel alone. Indeed if you you skip back to chapter 2 verses 16 we see a very clear synopsis of what Paul's whole message is when he says we know that a person is not counted righteous by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be counted righteous by faith in Christ And not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be counted righteous that word counted is so important in Paul's writings and it's so important to our theology because it's it literally means to impute or to credit to your account it's not something that you earn it's something that is declared over you you are declared to be righteous by faith alone Well, if that's the case, then the question comes up: If it's all by grace and has always been by grace, then why the law? What's the point? I mean, if it was never, uh, if if it was always going to be the gospel, what's what's the reason for the law? And so that's what we're going to talk about today as we look at Galatians chapter three, verses fifteen through twenty-nine. That's what Paul deals with. So first, he says, in verse fifteen. Uh, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean, and this is really where Paul is getting to the nugget of what we're talking about today. The law which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. All right, what is going on here? What is Paul talking about? Well, Paul's point is that long before the law was given, God had already ratified a promise to Abraham that his future seed, Jesus Christ, would bring blessing, salvation to the world exclusively by faith alone. So for it to be by our works or according to the law would be for God to break his word of promise to Abraham. In other words, he's just reiterating that the law came after the promise that it was by faith alone had already been given to Abraham. That law does not change that. Just because the law was given does not change it. So Paul's Paul's first point here to make it very simple is that the law never was supposed to be, was never meant to be the means of salvation for human beings. It never was that. It was always first and foremost based on promise and based on faith. Okay, so that's what he's saying from the beginning. And he points out the law comes 430 years after God's already made a promise to Abraham. Let's go on. Second thing. He says the law was given to reveal transgressions. So what's the law there for? Well, verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So what does Paul mean that the law was added because of transgressions? What does that mean? Well, I think he says a similar thing in Romans 7 that will shed some light here. There, Paul is discussing his continuing struggle with sin, even as a new creation, a son of God, a follower of Christ. And he writes this very insightful statement. He says these words, If it had not been for the law... I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. You see his point there. It says the law actually makes known to you the sin that you're doing. It reveals transgression. I'll give you an example from my own life of when I was revealed to be transgressing in a way that I didn't know it at the time. Uh, Years ago, me and my buddies decided to take a little uh, hike near the top of this mountain called Sapphire near uh, Rancho Cucamonga, where I grew up. And uh, in this area, there there were kind of homes scattered in the hills, but they weren't close together. Uh, So we parked what we thought was far enough away up in the hills, and we got out of our truck and headed into the country out for a great adventure. Well, uh, to our surprise, after a while... Instead of heading into the wild, wild west, we ended up hiking up to this house there in the hills, and the owner was right outside. Now, he was nice, but one of the things he told us was that we had actually been hiking on his land. We had actually been trespassing. Now, we didn't know before then that we were doing anything wrong. We, didn't, we really didn't think we were. But after that, because we now knew better, if we had decided to go back through that land we would have been guilty of trespassing knowingly. This is what Paul is saying. What the law does is make us utterly aware of our transgressions. That's what the law's work is meant to do. A little while ago, I got into a a conversation with a professed atheist friend of mine, and, and I asked her, what do you think the greatest human need is? And instinctively, like, almost like she had been reading a pamphlet or something, she said, oh, education, education is definitely our greatest need. Now, I I think education is great. I think it's very important. But I asked in response, well, you think if people just know better that they always do what's best for them? She said, yeah, I do. I said, well, I don't know about that. I, I don't think that can explain the BTK killer an elder in his church a high ranking law enforcement official who was a serial killer um, the fact is the law tells us what we should do we know what we should do most of the time it's not actually even surprising to us but instead of the law actually causing us to stop our behavior instead of being more educated meaning that means in sense uh, inherent goodness it actually ends up a lot of the time meaning that we just become as cs lewis says more clever devils and so uh, Paul goes on in chapter 7 of Romans, it says in verse 8, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. In other words, the law, actually contrary to what you think, brings sinful desires to life. And anyone that has a baby sees this. Anyone that has a little child sees this. You tell them no, and, I mean, watch out. What do they want to do? The exact opposite of what you said and so Paul says chapter 7 of Romans verse 9 I was once alive apart from the law but when the commandment came sin came alive and I died the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me now does that mean that the law is bad no Paul says the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. There's that language again, revealing the trespass and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So the first thing we're told is that the law far from being given to save us actually was given to reveal our need for salvation. He continues, it also reveals our bondage. It also reveals our imprisonment. That's what the law is there to do. Paul writes in verse 21, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Listen to the language there. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now, again, in order to understand the passage, I think we have to flip over to Romans 7 again. And you hear Paul flesh out what this actually looks like in real terms. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Sound familiar, folks? (laughs) He continues, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So far from the law actually giving us the freedom, it actually reveals how trapped we are. Again, to quote C.S. Lewis, he says, you never really realize how bad you are until you've tried really hard to be good. And that's certainly Paul's conundrum here. And so it's possible for you to desire to do the right thing, to truly have the desire to do the right thing as a Christian and yet feel thwarted in it and to go back to doing something that's wrong, And so the Christian life is this battle. It's this constant battle. Uh, And that's what the law does. So um, God tells us to stop it in the law, but we can't make ourselves stop it. And the more we can't stop it, the more we realize we're imprisoned, we're chained, we're in bondage to our sin. And that's exactly what it's meant to do it's meant to show us our hopelessness, our absolute inability to free ourselves. And when that has happened, we are then led to the third and most important reason for the law, and that is to reveal Christ. So the law is not merely there just to bring us to an end of ourselves and show us we can't do anything. It's not merely there just to reveal how pathetic we are. No, God has a design here. The whole reason for that is so that we can come to see our ultimate desperate need for Jesus. So look at verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, before I go any further, I just have to explain this word guardian that you just heard twice. The word there is literally uh, and it means male nursemaid or, or custodian. It means um, someone that has custody over a child. And, and according to the Greek scholars Rogers and, and Rogers, uh, a Pythagogos was a slave employed in Greek and Roman families to uh, have general charge of a boy in the years from about six years old to 16. Uh, watching over his outward behavior and attending him both at, at home and whenever he left from home, and it's, for example, to, to school usually. So you might see this sometimes translated schoolmaster. So yes, Paul says that the law had a function before Christ came. It guided us and watched over us. But in the final analysis, it couldn't save us. It had to drive us to Christ. And the way it does that is by showing us that apart from him, there's no hope. Just as the custodian was never meant to live with a boy for his whole life, the law was not meant to govern your whole life. It was always meant to drive you to see Jesus and His needs or Him meeting all of your needs. The law hounds you until you quit. That's what it's meant to do. It's inflexible. It doesn't bend. It keeps on coming after you. And so Paul continues verse 27. You've come to the end of yourself. You've come to the end of believing that you can do anything apart from, you know, by the law What happens? Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now I could just spend a whole devotion going over that verse alone, because of course, as I think some of y'all know, when I come across a baptism verse, I get like all, you know, I get excited. Uh, But just one thing to point out here, where does Paul say we have put on Christ? In our baptism. So you come to the end of yourself and you say, I got no hope left. I'm gonna come to Christ and he says, I'll baptize you and put myself on you. I'm gonna clothe you in my righteousness. And it's gonna happen in the baptism. And then this beautiful statement, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In other words, you're no longer children, you're no longer slaves, you're no longer under the law of supervision, but you have a new master now, a master of freedom, because when you were baptized, he was put on you like a new piece of fresh clothing. And you know how good it feels to be dressed in new clothing. Luther commenting on this verse says In baptism, then, it is not the garment of the righteousness of the law or our own works that is given, but Christ becomes our garment. But he is not the law, not a lawgiver, not a work. He is the divine and inestimable gift that the Father has given to be our justifier, life giver, and redeemer. To put on Christ, according to the gospel, therefore, is to put on not the law or works, but an inestimable gift, namely the forgiveness of sins, righteousness, peace, comfort, joy in the Holy Spirit, salvation, life in Christ himself. So... That, my friends, is ultimately why the law is given, to lead us to the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, that we would find ourselves resting in that garment of his righteousness, no longer afraid, no longer uh, stuck in our sins, no longer naked in the shame, but covered, made part of one family, heirs of Abraham, sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. That is ultimately why the law is given, to drive us to that reality. All right, gang, that is it for today. I hope you have a absolutely wonderful day and a wonderful week. I'll look forward to seeing you next Tuesday as we begin diving into chapter 4 of Galatians. God bless.